where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello, we're back for Bar Wars 2, The Woodman Strikes Back. It's me, it's Barry. Hello, James. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to uh, our second Bar War. And James had to remind me of Bar War 1 before we started recording. Yeah, this episode aired on January 12th, 1989, Kirstie Alley's 38th birthday, which is nice. Uh, it's episode 10 of season 7, directed by James Bowes and written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs, who are the uh, the Bar Wars helmsmen. Yes, that's the word. That is a word. In this episode, it's a Bar Wars episode, uh, Cheers Rue Gary, this time Bloody Mary contest. So we, we start with our cold open. Uh, which delves once more into Fraser and Lilith's bedroom encounters. Yeah, he's a freaky little man, isn't he, Fraser? <laughs> he's becoming one, yes. <laughs> so Carla tricks Lilith into revealing uh, Fraser's fetish uh, by pretending that her partner has made her dress up in one of the Disney character costumes from the ice show. But actually, that turns out to be nonsense. That Carla's just dropped in to make Lilith loosen her tongue, which she does very easily, actually. Oh, yeah, like it required very little encouragement. <laughs> what is Fraser's particular fetish, James? Disturbing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's a, he's, a, he's a mummy's boy. Like Freud would have a field day with him. Here's what I have waiting for me. Every so often, Fraser likes to regress to his childhood. First... He insists on calling me mommy. I fix him cinnamon toast and strawberry milk. Then it's bath time, one of my favorites. Followed by my tucking him into bed and singing all the pretty little horses. After that, we make love until the windows rattle. Men, they're really something, aren't they? Yeah, Lilith described that in excruciating detail. Now, having just had a son, uh, a little boy, I've got an eight-week-year-old baby, and the idea of being cradled, he looks so content when you've got this little bundle in your arms. Certainly, the idea of being in a giant's arms and cradled sounds so wonderful when you see how content he is. I mean, I feel safe. (laughs) Yeah, but then to extrapolate that somehow to the bedroom... It's very hot. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite disturbing. By all means, put me in a very comfortable position and feed me. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. But then don't dim the lights afterwards, unless I'm going to have a sleep. Yeah, no, I just want a nap after that. <laughs> yeah. That's not what Lilith wants. So, uh, <laughs> or Fraser, they have something else on the mind. But luckily, the main episode is uh, more family-friendly. I'd say. Yes. There is a drinks contest uh, to beat a rival bar. Yeah, Gary. Gary from the rival bar. This time played by OG Gary, Joel Polis, not Robert Desiderio. They alternate, it seems. I think it's because of a simple typo. I think this will give an in-universe explanation that Gary's is not Gary apostrophe S. It's Gary's as in more than one Gary. That's my theory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gary's apostrophe rather than Gary 
apostrophe s. Okay. That's, my, that's my theory. So do you think all the Garys have some sort of stake in this this drinking venue? Yeah, it's like, remember the Josh fight? There's an event started on, on like Facebook or something where this guy called Josh invited other random people called Josh and challenged them to a fight. <laughs> Hundreds of Joshes showed up at this this field in the US somewhere. And people were like, this is going down. This is going to be mayhem. But because this 10-year-old boy showed up, and with just like swimming floats, you know, like those long tube swimming floats, he used them as weapons. They let him win. So in the end, it was, you know, oh. <laughs> like 40 or 50-year-old men called, called Josh. <laughs> uh, you know, in the end, they let, they let 10-year-old Josh win, which was wholesome. And I'm glad it came out that way. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the best uses of the internet I've ever heard. Because that could have gone seriously the other way, couldn't it? <laughs> Imagine, you know, you could have ended that story with only one Josh alive. <laughs> well, that's Including a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> that's how I originally set it. Like the person who set it up as a joke went, um, here, now, last Josh wins. Well, that's excellent. In the end, everyone was fine. And a 10-year-old... Emerged victorious, which is lovely. I may have missed out on something very similar because I was once contacted with someone the exact same name as me on Facebook, trying to gather Barry's uh, <laughs> together, um, and I ignored it. <laughs> uh, I'm not that interested in being amongst the Barry's. The the Barry bunch. Yeah. I forgot what we were talking about. Yeah, bar wars. Anyway, there's a Bloody Mary contest. Turns out that Cheers has lost to Gary's. The last few years, they think they have a secret weapon. Sam's sent his spies to various factions, various areas of Boston to try to collect resources, try to unlock secrets in order to best Gary. Yes. So we have Carla has been sent out to get some of the secret ingredients that they think will make their Bloody Mary better. Uh, Rebecca has been sent uh, to the bar to actually get a sample of this award-winning Bloody Mary, both of which are destroyed by Woody's allergies. So it turns out that Woody is allergic to one of the secret ingredients, which is black cardamom. I've never had black cardamom. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but it... I've not had it in isolation. I think I've had it in something. They almost It almost sounds like it has the value of truffles or something like that. Yeah. They describe it as it's difficult to get. They've got the last one in the, the area, the last ounce of black cardamom, at which Woody sneezes away. And then Woody drops the sample that Rebecca is. It reminds me of, um, have you ever seen Annie Hall? Uh, probably as a child, but not. There's a bit where there's a, there's a cocaine scene. And what I liked about it was that it was unscripted. And it was because, I think, because Woody genuinely... By coincidence, Woody Allen genuinely sneezed, not Woody Boyd or Harrelson. And he sneezes and it goes goes everywhere. Oh, I have to confess, James, when you said, have you seen Annie Hall? I initially thought of Annie. Uh, and then when you started talking about cocaine, I thought my memory of that film has been severely <laughs> distorted. <laughs> Where a young girl called Annie is becomes a drugs mule for a, a rich family. Oh, it's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> Fit for all the family. But no, Annie, Annie Hall, very similar scene happens. Expensive powder sneezed away, mm. coincidentally by a man also called Woody. The parallels just keep coming. Yep. Uh, Gary comes into the bar to gloat about him going to win. And he also advertises his, they've got a big TV in the bar. Oh, they've got a huge TV. 
For 89, it was a huge 40-inch screen or something. It's ridiculous. 40 inches. Yeah. That's smaller than my TV. Not my much. I don't have a huge TV, but by today's standards, mine's a, a tiddler, and it's still uh, above 40. So that's crazy, really. I don't know. I, I, I said what I thought was a big screen. It looked huge as a, as a TV. Mm. So, yes, he, he managed to steal a bit of the fear of the clientele away and disappears leaving a sample of his Bloody Mary. Rebecca snuck a sample, dropped on the floor. They wanted to analyse it, figure out what the ingredients were. They know it's got black cardamom. That's about it. I'm going to assume two other ingredients. Vodka, tomato, juice. Yes. Do you know what's exciting me, James? We order drinks at the end of this episode. It's going to be easy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have beer. That's one bit of thinking I don't have to do. What happens is after the bingo, after Gary's gloated, the Bloody Mary contest is coming up. They all have a little sippy sip in cheers, don't they? They all have a little mm. bit of, of this pitcher of Bloody Mary and they think it's delightful. No, and Norm would do things for this Bloody Mary. It's almost worth cramming myself into this dress. <laughs> hey, I dress up as a hooker to get some of this stuff. <laughs> Norm insults her, but also kind of gives an insight into his life. Rebecca's a little offended by, but finds the image of Norm, a la pretty woman, quite amusing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure how much of a career Norm would have in that arena. He didn't need to go to a specific area, wouldn't he? Like a specific specific corner of the combat zone, yeah. (laughs) So yes, they all agree that Gary's Bloody Mary is the best. But this backfires, or this conversation, or the stealing of a sample backfires on them when it turns out that Gary's been filming them surreptitiously in their own bar. He had a man on the inside. Which in those days, having a a man with a hidden camera, and it's obviously handheld, they really should have spotted a man with a camcorder at the back of the room. Because I don't know how they do it. The only way I could think of is if he had like a big old briefcase or something where there was a camera inside it and a hole cut out because yeah i don't know how you'd hide a camera like that because he was sitting at the bar as well from the angle he was sitting (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah a bit of uh, a lack of awareness from the bar staff so they get caught and get quoted on tv as saying not only is gary's the best but also gary's gonna win and cheers never made a bloody mary this good Say so, Sam Malone of Cheers. Anybody know the way to Gary's? I'll give you a lift. I think it's strange that it's on TV because it implies that the people of Boston have nothing better to care about. (laughs) Or or that it was just an advert airtime that Gary paid for, which is probably the more logical explanation. But what a length to go to. And and also, what a quick turnaround in the editing. Yeah, (laughs) clearly... In the know, isn't he? He he has people. He's got an editing guy. We're video editors Uh for a career. I've worked with old school video editing. Film, yeah. Slicey, slicey. It was a slow process. Very slow. So, yeah, whoever's done that, not that together. I realise it's probably one unedited piece of film, but still, they've done a good grand job to pop that out and get it on the local station. Good job, Gary's editors. Good job, Gary's editors. The unsung heroes of this episode. (laughs) They were. After this, they want to infiltrate Gary's bar. They send Woody in because Woody loves disguises. Yeah. (laughs) I think he does. We've seen a few episodes where he's, he's had a few disguises. We've seen Mark Twain. 
Moses, beekeeper, clown. Well done, Woody. It doesn't work. He is promptly delivered back to the bar upside down with a note attached to him and taped around his mouth. They've caught him out. Yeah, because he was dressed up as a nun. Yeah, not not obvious bar clientele. Do nuns go to bars? I think nuns would go to bars. Yeah, I'm sure they would, but maybe not a, a rowdy sports bar. But who's, who am I to deny a, a, a nun the opportunity to watch her favourite sports team play while sipping a beer? That's quite a wholesome image. Uh, mm, isn't it? <laughs> it's much more wholesome than the sad clown driving his Volvo back to his microwave dinners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <sighs> Just the one beer. I've got a sermon. <laughs> uh, Woody is brought back. But this leads to an argument where Woody is accused of being stupid for trying the nun outfit and thinking that would work. And Woody quits Cheers in a bit of a a rage and instead heads to Gary's to try and get a job there. I don't think it's stupidity on on Woody's part. I think it's force of habit. Hey, I see what you did. I'm pleased with that one. No, there is some truth in it. It's not just a pun. It works because it's truthful in that I I don't think he's a stupid man. He's just a homegrown, naive man. Yes. And his naivety is his his superpower in a way. Yeah. So, yeah, Woody quits and then goes to work for Gary's, which they are suspicious because they're like, well, how can we trust him? He works for the enemy. He finds a quarter of a dime or something in his new apron or thing. Basically, he, find, he finds a coin and goes, who does this belong to? Whereas Gary assumes most people would just pocket it. Yeah, he wants to put it in the lost property, doesn't he? Yeah. Woody earns their trust through a combination of honesty and hard work. And by the end of the week, they're singing his praises. Lovely. It is lovely, but it's at that point that Woody reveals himself to be the saboteur by offering a note to Gary, telling him essentially that he's missed the start of the competition or he's late. It's been pulled forward a few hours. It's a lunchtime affair. Mm, Lunchtime Bloody Marys. So they go back to the bar where the ceremony is taking place and Gary arrives just in time to see his Bloody Mary entered and win. And then he leaves the bar, which... you know, it's a classic Gary. But it's also very lucky for them that he arrived, won, and left immediately so that they could clear up in time for the real contest. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, then came a twist. Whoa. Yes. That twist was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Woody was in costume as the judge. Gary saw through this and arrives moments later again for the real contest. Well, it's because as a judge, he didn't really speak. He just pointed at Gary, gave him a thumbs up. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. he's got quite a distinctive accent, <laughs> does does Woody? Although I did like the way that that was that outfit of the judge was foreshadowed because we did see the judge earlier in the episode, didn't we? He was being walked around by Rebecca to show the venue, and actually Woody did a good job of again dressing up, but looking quite a lot like that guy. Yeah, I don't know whether it was camera trickery or whether it was a genuinely a very good disguise. But either way, first time watching it, I had no idea it was Woody until he took the wig off. Yeah, yeah, it took me a while too. So then cue Gary coming back in, having undermined their ruse, and the contest takes place again, um, which I believe Gary wins again. Yeah, and this time it's got the real judge looking exactly the same as Woody's disguise, but this time it is... Carla's next-door neighbour. 
Yeah, it's not the real judge. It's someone who looks like the person Woody disguised himself as. That's that's the most <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it's just Carla's neighbor who she paid off to pretend to be a judge, not with her own money. She lifted money from Gary's wallet. Yeah, so she pickpocketed Gary uh, while he was there, paid off the her neighbor, and then cue Gary coming in again. I know what you're up to, but it turns out he just noticed his wallet was missing. Give me my wallet back. So they've won, which is nice. One thing about this whole ruse that strikes me as odd is why did they, having set up a ruse and a fake judge, why did they let Gary win? Why did they declare Gary the winner? Maybe they thought, well, he's, his is better, so it's best to have him think he's won, get the Bloody Mary not in the building. Because I assume if they... Yeah, they're like, well, can't beat it as a recipe. So the most we can do is get him out of the contest. Yeah. There ends our episode. Cheers has won. Gary leaves unaware. But one thing that struck me about this episode was, again, I felt it was a missed opportunity. Much like our handkerchief gag in the previous episode, in this episode, it becomes apparent at the end that everyone was in on Woody going to the other bar. And I think that there's a scene earlier on where everyone tries to leave the bar surreptitiously to <laughs> to collude on, on a plan to get back at Gary. It's a great physical moment. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine that is the moment where they decided this whole chain of events, apart from Carla's own a little trickery on the top. What I would like to have seen is a moment of real cleverness from Woody. It would have been nice to see that that was a genuine trickery on Woody's part. He tricked everyone. And I think that's how Coach would have done it years ago. Yeah, he, and he did that very same thing in Pick a Con, Any Con. He just conned them all, him and Harry the Hat, much to the surprise of everyone in the bar. <laughs> and I, I like it when those the the dim character shows the, the clarity because it's unexpected and it's wholesome in a way. And I would have liked that to happen here is that through the whole episode, it would have been nice if no one knew what Woody was up to. If Woody had quit cheers and everyone in cheers was upset because Woody had left. If he'd gone to Gary's and tricked Gary and Gary had never known that he was being played. And then at the end, he was the judge. I think that would have been a much better constructive episode if at the end... The puppet master. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, it felt like it became a bit too convoluted in the end uh, as an episode. It was adding twists upon twists upon twists, like an overzealous cocktail. Yeah. And if, you, if you're if you going to do that, you have to really nail the Kaiser Soze uh, at the end. Otherwise, you've lost it. So it was, it was a fun episode, but I think it, it just missed an opportunity a little bit. Shall we say who the cast are in this before the inevitable trivia. B.B. Neurath as Dr. Lilith Sternen, Joel Polis as Gary, Robert O'Reilly as Ed Fogarty. You're, this was the uh, neighbour. He also appeared in Fantasy Island, Archie Bunker's Place, Chips, The Incredible Hulk, Hill Street Blues, The Fall Guy, TJ Hooker, Knight Rider, MacGyver, Hunter, Max Headroom, Dallas, Star Trek Next Generation, and Deep Space Nine, Numbers, and many more. Greg Collins as Greg, he previously appeared in the first Bar Wars as Exterminator Number 1. Vincent Pantone as Vince. He also appeared in Hunter, Riptide, Falcon Crest, Hill Street Blues, Punky Brewster, and others. Now, Greg and Vince are uh, the two heavies at Gary's, basically. Time Winters as Customer. That's not a typo. 
by the way, listeners, that's genuinely his name. Time Winters. My. He also appeared in Columbo, Hunter, Doc Hollywood, MacGyver, Northern Exposure, Full House, Picket Fences, Melrose Place, The John Lowerkett Show, Murder, She Wrote, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Scrubs, ER, Carnival, Criminal Minds, Skyrim, Velvet Buzzsaw, Legion, General Hospital, and many others. Tim Cunningham is Tim, Alan Cross is Alan, and Philip Pullman and Al Rosen are uncredited as Phil and Al. What was that name again? Time Winters. Oh, that's so prophetic, isn't it? So <laughs> poetic as well. I thought you said pathetic. <laughs> Time winters us all, James. Time winters us all. Oh, that's the trivia to, to, <laughs> to, you know, take us out of the discontent that Barry laid upon us there. So, yeah, happy trivia time now. As usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. I'm not pleased to say that actually I didn't gain a lot of trivia from this episode. A very easy one, James. What is the name of Gary's Bar? It's Gary's Old Town Tavern. Yes, it is. That's a, that was a very easy one. Gary tries to give Cheers a gift. What is it? It is T-shirts. Oh, no, no, it's not. It's bar towels, isn't it? Uh, is it to, to mop their tears when they lose or something? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, towels for tears. But yeah, no, it does have T-shirts available. And I'm sure you can pick up some over on our Redbubble store. But, you know, if that's if you want to betray Cheers. We also have Cheers t-shirts, so, yeah, check them out. In fact, on that note, I will ask you a question I don't know the answer to. But what colours did the t-shirts that Gary produced come in? White and red are two that were mentioned. Yes, so red is the new variety that uh, one of the punters is excited about having. I'm glad you knew the answer to those, James, because I remember it happening, but not the details, which is probably true of a lot of our lives. When Woody is hung upside down, there is a note pinned to him. What does this note say? Oh, now you've got me. I don't know. Compliments of Gary's We Deliver. Oh. Okay, uh, I have a question on that very subject would he dressed up as a nun what was his other idea of a costume to go as it was something similar uh, i remember that much it was you know i don't remember uh, a nurse was it it wasn't a nurse oh it was it was one of the von trapp children of course i see the connection now now i don't know a great deal about the von trapps i know they are probably a wholesome singing troupe, but I know little beyond that. It's from The Sound of Music. So Julie Andrews came in as a uh, nun going, you like singing? <laughs> in a slightly less Seinfeldian cadence. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's why. So yeah, it turns out that that costume store was The Sound of Music costume store. Something I've never seen. Although family have been to see The Sound of Music live. And tell me it's quite the event. Yeah, and it's Troy's favourite film. Is it? I know he's partial to a musical. I mean, if he hears this, he he might be angry that I've said it on air, but he's said it often, and it's true. So, you know, Troy, that's your fault. Um, (laughs) Three of his favourite films are 
The Sound of Music, Sister Act, and Sister Act 2. Excellent. I quite like Sister Act because it's not a traditional musical. It is a film in which music is involved, but it's not one of the creepy musicals where people suddenly burst into song and dance. Yeah. I find that a little off-putting. Like, I, I saw the recent West Side Story, which I very much liked, but a friend of mine went to see it without knowing it was a musical. He thought it was, you know, a drama about gangs in the late 50s, which he thought, that sounds interesting. I watch it. And then he was like, why are they walking like that? That's a that's not how you walk. Stop it. <laughs> and then left after 20 minutes because he was like, nope, this is not for me. The idea of threatening gang wars being played out in song is one I still struggle with. Uh, and I, Without taking anything away from the film, which I imagine is excellent. I've seen the original. But singing to someone, you'd struggle to make that. I'm going to murder out. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That was lovely, but don't... <laughs> I agree. I'm just not the <laughs> audience, which is... It's marketed to, that choreography. I'm sure someone who, who does know choreography probably does appreciate it, but I just went, I can tell they're dancing. This, mm. this is dancing. I know that much. Yeah, and actually the form and technique and strength and balance and everything of a dance, uh, I, can, I can really appreciate and find impressive... Um, but the something like interpretive dance, I struggle with. Uh, it, it's the it's the jazz of the dance world, isn't it? But <laughs> it, it, yeah. it, for for someone who doesn't understand or isn't in, inclined to listen to or watch, you would struggle with it. Yeah, and dressage, horse dressage, that can get in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> so horse dressage is one step further because you. You need a horse. I mean, that's that in itself is a barrier. It's commitment, isn't it? Yeah. Not only you need a horse, but you need to train that horse to understand interpretive dance. And if you can't get me to understand interpretive dance, the thing is, the horse doesn't understand interpretive dance. The horse doesn't know what it's representing. The horse is just repeating behavior you've told it to do without the meaning behind it. It's yeah. It's, I would uh, like to see the union meeting where the horse. <laughs> demands who's <laughs> on the table just <laughs> anyway that took a wild tangent um mm. but luckily it's last call now by what should we have as a drink money to think about it mm. yeah it's going to be tricky um it needs to be something competitive and potentially award-winning um and actually has an element of battle about it something bloody perhaps yeah, yeah. Mm, like, a, like a Bloody Mary, maybe? Well, maybe that's where the nun came from. Oh, yes, and the sister. Obviously, the, you know, the OG Mary. Yeah. Well, I, I meant the, yeah, but the, the Woody's outfit. <laughs> maybe that was his thinking. Bloody Mary sounds delightful. Is there a snack we could have with this, James? Is there a snack that's representative? There's many a snack. Is there a snack which represents battle? I know of a snack which represents twists. Pretzels. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's tenuous, <laughs> but uh, I, I would. I would go for. I like a pretzel. Or, or a cheese twist, but pretzel seems seems my, more universal. <laughs> my nan exists almost solely on cheese twists. That makes it sound like she's made out of cheese twists, like some kind of dairy oddity. <laughs> <laughs> That's nan. <laughs> uh, so bloody Mary and cheese twists or pretzels? What are we talking? 
Oh, let's have a cheese twist. Ooh, Bloody Mary Yummy. cheese twist. Because oh. you, you could dip that, couldn't you? I mean, they <laughs> traditionally have a, a bit of celery on top. We could have a cheese twist. And I'll tell you what, tomato and cheese goes quite well. It does, doesn't it? The Italians have taught us that. <laughs> Your classic Italian meal, cheese twist dunked in a plate. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Mama used to make. Yeah. Anyway, this has been delightful. You'll listen to us again next week for another fun episode of Where Nobody Knows Your Name. Mm-hmm.